got together, we examined what it takes to become a great husband. What it takes. There are six things that we considered. Number one is if you're going to be a great husband, you need to make sure that your wife knows that she's number one in your life. She comes before your parents, before your children, before your other women. She comes before your job and everything else. She needs to know she's the most important thing in your life. Number two is that you need to give to her as much as you would yourself, that you would love her as yourself, that you would treat her as you wish that she would treat you in a lot of ways, but then even, in, even more so in other ways. You'd welcome her opinions and you'd welcome her presence. Your life is an open book. You have nothing to hide. You're not ashamed to take her anywhere that you'd go and introduce you to people that you know. There's nothing to hide. You're not ashamed to let her look at your phone records at your business or your phone records as far as who you talk to and communicate with. I mean, your life is an open book and your wife is, an, is she's welcome to look and examine any part of your life. The fourth thing that we saw was that you would eliminate anything that causes fear in her life, that you would be her protector. My wife is out of town this week. She's visiting with her parents, and she left me one of those little sweet little cards. You know how you do that, guys and gals. Well, she left me a card that said, Something about you just makes my little heart skip a beat. You're driving. All right. <laughs> but she did follow it with a, Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. And I won't read you the rest of it because it'll get really hot and steamy in here. All right. <clears throat> And also, oh, 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 while I'm thinking about it, uh, one of the, the fears I want to eliminate from her life is she, she was deathly afraid that somehow I would get involved in handing out tapes and taking tape orders. So I told her what we'd do is she promises you if you order tapes last week and you order them this week that she'll have them for you next week. We've got a pretty good feel of how many people are going to want to order tapes. There's never as many tapes on how to become a great wife order because women are the ones who buy most of the tapes and order them for people, right? So we're just going to figure that this week, though, you're, you're, you know, the guys are going to rally and say, you know what, this is a tape that my wife really should keep. <laughs> and maybe even listen to every now and then. All right. Number five, we saw if you're going to be a great husband, you need to meet her needs as she needs her needs to be met, not as you think that they need to be met, nor even try to understand what it is that she needs other than the fact she needs it met and then you meet it. All righty. Number six, that you'd sacrifice your interest if needed on her behalf. Now, men, now that you have been doing these things this week, ladies, right, ladies? Ladies, anybody here have an exceptional week as a lady? Anybody? Oh, there's two. Oh. All righty. See, the problem is, now see what I was hoping is that, guys, you would have been doing your parts. You'd have done it this week. And you know what? You would have had this wife who's sitting at home. She's chomping at the bit. She wants to know. She's got this thought in her mind. She said, now that i got this great husband, how can I be a great wife? That's what she was thinking. I know it the whole week that's what she was going to think. And, and you know what? Some of you are thinking, please, Chuck, tell us how to be a great wife. Oh! Oh! Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, my goodness. Hey, where was that lady? Who was that? I saw that lady sneaking up there. Unplugging it. Oh, my goodness gracious. All right. Oh, you're asking, so I'll tell you. All right, here we go. How to become a great wife. There's plenty of confusion in our culture today as to what constitutes a great wife, what a wife's supposed to do. I got a cartoon this past week, and uh, let me just let me describe it for you. I was going to put it on overhead, but it's too far for some of you to see it. And then, again, you'd have to read it, and then it's too hard for some of you to understand. So I will just go ahead and explain it to you. There's a couple, and they're in a therapist's office. They're sitting on a couch. It's a construction site. There's a sign that says, couple working on their, on their relationship. There's those little cones all over the place. The, uh, the counselor has a hard hat on, and the couple has a hard hat on. And they're sitting on the couch, and, and the wife looks at the husband and says, so how do you feel? He says, man, this is a lot of work. 
therapist says, well, Dave, what is Darla's job in this relationship? He goes, uh, she's the woman. He goes, that's right, Dave, good. But what's her job? And his wife turns to him and says, he means, what's my function? What's my role? What's my part? What do I do? So the therapist says, so again, Dave, what, what is Darla's job? And Dave sits, he says, you know, she explains stuff to me. She explains stuff to me. Well, before we laugh too long at poor Dave, let me ask you a question. What is your, what is your sir, if you're married, what is your wife's role in your relationship? What is her responsibility? What is her job? What is she supposed to do? What does she do? And as a wife, what is your role? What is your responsibility? What is your job? What are you supposed to do? See, there's a lot of confusion. And so what I want to do is I'll make this as simple as possible and as clear as possible. Your first job, and you'll remember there's some correlation here between what we talked about last time, but your first job is to love your husband. Amen. Pre- oh, yeah, you know what? Let's get that straight right now because I think, I think, whoa, I think we're going to have a lot more success this week than we did last week. Yeah, see, so yeah, I didn't know where we're heading with this. So on th- one, two, three, one, two, three. This is great. This is going to work. Oh, hey, hey, man. Oh, they're going to be whipped into a frenzy here this morning. All right. Preach it, brother. If you want to, you can say it anytime you'd like, as long as it's appropriately timed. No, no. In fact, I better not say anytime you'd like. <laughs> We're going to have some control. I'll give you, I'll give you the cue. Give that, okay? It, it, you know, if it's appropriate. All right. Number one, you're to love your husband. Now, we saw last time we got together that there was a problem with love, and that is what one person thinks is love, the other person doesn't interpret it as such. So what's real important that we understand, and what has helped me in my relationship with my wife, is that there are specific things a husband is to do to demonstrate love to his wife that are different than the specific things a wife is to do to demonstrate love to her husband. And so what we need to do is recognize and understand how important that it is if you are a wife here or a wife-to-be that you understand that your job, your responsibility is to love your husband as God says you should love your husband. Because you already know, sometimes as men, we don't even know how you're supposed to do it. Or we don't even know what you're supposed to do. But we do know, and it clearly tells us in the Bible, what your role is as a wife. Let me give you an example. In Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, Paul is instructing Titus, who is a pastor of a local church, and he's contrasting some of the false teaching that goes on, that was going on and was prevalent in that day, the cultural misunderstandings as to... uh, the role of a woman, the role of a man, the role of a husband, the role of a wife, and he was contrasting false teaching to that of correct doctrine or right teaching or, in other words, the right way to do things. There is a right way for a wife to love her husband. There's a wrong way, and this is the right way. So in Titus 2, 3 through 5, we read this. Likewise, you're to teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they, the older women, can train the younger women to what? To love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. The contrast here is between the wrong way of living and a right way of living, and this is what God is saying, is the right way for a wife to love her husband. 
Now, as we look at these things, there's four, basically four ways that a wife is to love her husband. So, ladies, if you're ready, and most of the time you love to take notes if it pertains to what your husband is to do, but you might want to just jot these down for future reference. And, uh, oh, you know what, by the way, you'll notice, too, that it is something that you must learn. It does not come natural. Now, could you imagine living in a culture where you as a woman did not have the right to choose who your mate would be? And in this particular culture, as we look at when the scriptures were written in this particular time and place, marriages were prearranged. So you would take, as the parents of a woman and the parents of a man, you would prearrange to put these two people together and say, okay, now the two of you are going to get married. Now, if you stop and think about that, you're going to have to learn to love that guy because you don't have those warm, fuzzy feelings going into this relationship that, oh, you know what, this is going to be easy to love him because he's such a great guy. Now, on the other hand, what happens is many of us in our culture where we go through the dating process, we have these warm, fuzzy feelings. We say we're going to marry somebody, and we say, oh, this guy's going to be so easy to love because I just feel it. And then you get in the marriage, and that feeling's gone away. And you go, gee, this guy isn't as easy to love as I thought he was going to be to love. So we have to learn and we have to teach how to love correctly because it's not based on emotions and feelings. The reality stage sets in. It becomes based on a standard that goes beyond feelings and emotions. And so as we look at these things, you'll see that God is saying, hey, you know what, ladies, there's four ways that I'm telling you to love your husbands. And the first way that you will demonstrate love to him in a way that he needs to be loved is that you will be loyal to him. You will demonstrate loyalty to him. Now, a wife that loves her husband is 100% committed to him and him alone. She's discreet. She's chaste. She's pure. She's not buying into all the lies that encourage a woman to be disloyal or to be unfaithful, to have you know some type of a, a wild part of her life that she can go out and have a good time to please herself. She doesn't buy into any of those lies in the culture that's, that's spreading that. She's learning to love her husband as is necessary to meet his needs, but also in a way that's pleasing to God. And what God is saying is, if you are a wife, you will be loyal to your husband, 100% committed to him. She knows that she loves him. She knows she isn't interested in having any kind of relationship nor experiencing anything outside of the relationship that the two of them can have together. She's not interested in having a sexual relationship with anyone other than her husband. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, man, you know what? I mean, are there really married women who would even entertain the thought of having a sexual relationship with someone other than her husband? You know, and as far, maybe as, as hard as that is for some of us to believe, I'm going to tell you something that happened to me, and then some of you may be able to relate a little more to what I'm going to say. Or some of you may say, hey, you know what? I know exactly what you're talking about. Four years ago, I went to heating and air conditioning because I was out in a, in a homeowner that wanted to put air conditioning in their house. And I'm going through the house, and we're just having small talk conversation, you know, what the problem was, what they'd like to do, what they're trying to accomplish, blah, blah, blah. And this gal was a very good-looking woman. We're walking through the house, and um, I'm measuring stuff up, and we're just chit-chatting, and she says, so how long have you been married? And I have my wedding ring on, and I would imagine that's where she, she uh, picked up on that. I said, well, been married 16 years at the time. I said, 16 years? And she looked at me, and she said, you know... I'll bet you that after 16 years, things get pretty boring sexually, don't they? You know, now I've been out on a whole bunch of these calls, 
And that's the first conversation to ever start heading that direction. Now, you know, a typical guy, I'm thinking, Duh. <laughs> <laughs> now, as, a, as a Coach Knox used to say to Rams, he said, now, I was born last night. He goes, I was born at night, but not last night. And, uh, you know, and I could relate. And I was like, uh, so, you know, what do you say? Uh, you know, oh, no, it's great. And she's thinking, I'm Superman. Uh, you're right. And then she goes, she goes, you know what? I got a neighbor across the street. And she's really bored, too. And uh, she'd really like to meet a good-looking guy like you. What do you mean, <laughs> I know some of you are like, what? Now you're making this up, aren't you? No, I'm not making this up. This is a true story. And I was doing what you're doing, ma'am. Oh, where's he going with this? Oh, hey, hey, whoa, hey, whoa. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, now, this whole conversation's taking place with their family portrait in the background. There's Hubby smiling. The kids off to school, hubby's at work making a living, and there's his wife home trying to make me. And I'm thinking, man, does this stuff really happen? Let me share something. Proverbs 2, 16 through 17 makes more sense to me today than it ever has in my life after having that experience. It will save you. Wisdom and understanding will save you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant that she had made before God. And if you got your Bibles, look at Proverbs chapter 7. See, if you want to become a great wife, what you need to do is you need to be loyal to your husband. In Proverbs chapter 7, look at starting with verse 5. Now, obviously, there is a profile of the man that's involved in this. Um, and you can take notes, gentlemen, and make it applicable however you'd like. But since this is a message that's really geared to women, I want you to look at the profile of the woman that's involved. And in Proverbs 7, starting with verse 5, we read this. Again, talking about how wisdom and understanding will spare you from a lot of problems in your life. It says that it may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the naive, I discerned among the youths, a young man who was lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner, and he takes the way to her house, and in the twilight, and in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot, and she's cunning of heart. She's boisterous and rebellious, and her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, and now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. She seizes him and kisses him. And with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings, and today I have paid my vows. Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For the man is not at home. He has gone on a long journey, and he has taken a bag of money with him. At full moon he will come home. And with her many persuasions she entices him. With her flattering lips she seduces him. And suddenly he follows her like an ox that goes to slaughter. 
or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Wow. These passages, these verses were going through my head as this whole conversation was taking place. And I saw the profile here of a disloyal woman. And you can go down through and you can look at, and obviously the man has some problems. He's a young man. He's lacking sense. He has no discernment. He's a fool. He's an ox. He's a dumb ox. And I can think of another animal that you could probably too. And he certainly is dumb. And he follows her. But what happened? What led up to it? Well, look at it. If, see, if you are a loyal wife, this will not be true of your life. You will not be a person who plans and plots to have your needs met by another man. It was all planned. It was all laid out. I got the cinnamon spread all over the bed. I know when he's going to be gone. I know when he's coming home. I've got it all mapped out, laid out. I know he's going to be on a business trip and he's going to be gone until next Tuesday. Hey, we got five days. We can have a whole bunch of fun. He's gone. It was all planned. It was in the darkness. Christian women who are in accountability groups who are making plans to do things behind the people's back that they're supposed to be accountable to. They don't share that. They don't tell that. They don't let anybody know what's going on. It's in darkness. It's covered. I can't tell anybody. I'm married to a not-so-great husband. And I got needs. She's dressed as a harlot. She dressed seductively, revealingly. If you're loyal to your husband, you don't dress like that. You don't show what God has given you to the rest of the world because he has given you what he gave you for the husband that you have. If you want to dress revealingly, then hey, show it to your husband. Turn him on. Get him excited by how you dress and how you look. And if you don't think you're dressing revealing or you're not real sure, then ask him his opinion before you leave the house. Is this okay? Am I dressed okay? Huh. She's boisterous. She's rebellious. She's cunning of heart. Her feet don't remain at home. She's not content just to be at home with her husband. There's more to life. There's an adventure out there. That's what she's being told. Oh, go out and have a good time and please yourself. And it's going to all work out. In the end, it's going to be great. You can have everything. You can have the stability of a husband and you can have all the fun of going out and having an adventure on your own. You can have it all. No, you can't. That's the lie, but you can't have it all. What you sow, you'll reap. Payday one day, the bill comes due and payable. You can't have everything. She seizes him. She initiates it. She's the one that set it up. She initiates it. The guy's too stupid. He's a dumb ox. She seizes him. She kisses him. She initiates it. She turns him on by her flattering and enticing words. She says all the compliments. Oh, my neighbor wants to meet a good-looking guy like you. Whoa. Oh, sounds so good. But it's also wrong. And you go down through it and you look at everything that's going on and you have to ask yourself the question there, ladies. If you want to be a great wife, then you need to be loyal, 100% committed to your husband. You've got to be careful of how you compliment other men. You need to be careful of what you wear. You need to be careful about what you're thinking and what you're plotting and what you're planning. You need to be loyal. I thought, my gosh, can you imagine being at work while your wife is hitting on the guy at your house? What can that do to a relationship? What can that do to trust? 
What can that do to intimacy? It destroys it. That's what it does to it. It's like, my goodness, what's wrong with this picture? Simple. It's disloyalty. You know, let me tell you something. It's something that really concerns me, and I see enough enough of this that I think it should be mentioned. But I see some of you having marital problems. And I see that during this time of difficulty that you're going through, that somehow or another you've been able to somehow gymnastically think that now that you're separated for whatever the reason, now that you're not living in the same place, or now that things aren't going the way they used to go, that somehow or another you have justified in your own mind that you can go out and start dating other people. That's the dumbest thing that any person can do that says they're committed to saving their marriage. Because all that it does is it tells your spouse that you're not committed to your marriage, that you're looking for someone else, that you're comparing him or her to somebody else, and they don't measure up like they should. That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And I have people come to me and they've asked me that and I've told them that and I see them go out and continue to date and then all of a sudden I see them develop a relationship with another person and they forget about their marriage, they forget about their family, they forget about everything else, they throw it all in the trash and then they get hooked up with a person that a year later they're not with anymore and, and it's all over and it's an illusion. And they've lost everything. Why? Because the deceiver, the liar, Satan wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your marriage. And the way that he does it with smoke and mirrors, that somehow there's something good out there that you can have that no one else has ever been able to have in the history of the world, and that you can have it, and you're not going to get burned and hurt by all of it. Well, you're wrong. Because when sin is conceived, it brings forth death. And the Bible says if you want to be a great wife, then you will be loyal to your husband. You'll be careful in what you say and what you plan and what you do and what you wear. And that you will only keep that which God has given you for your man and for your husband. By the way, I told that woman that, you know what, we had the greatest marriage in the world. And even if we weren't getting along at that time, even if we were having a bad week or a bad day, that was the right answer to give. Because the last thing I wanted to be dwelling on was, gee, you know what, we just had an argument that morning before I left for work. And isn't it a coincidence how this all happened? That's the way it is, isn't it? See, that's why you've got to concentrate on your marriage every day. You've got to say, I love you every day. You have to say, I'm committed to you every day. I'm loyal to you every day. You can't take a day for granted because you don't know if today is the last day your spouse has here on the face of the earth, yet alone all the temptations that he or she has to deal with when they go out in the world that we live in. And just thank God that that was one of those days I could say, man, you know what? Our marriage is great. I love my wife. I love my kids. And what was incredible was we put air conditioning in her house and her neighbor's house. And God knows they needed to cool off. Number two. Number two. Here we go. All right, ladies, here we go. If that's not enough, here's one more for you. The second thing. Being a a great wife involves this. It involves desire. It involves desire. It means if you're to love your husband as he needs to be loved, you must recognize that he has a need for you to desire him. In simple terms, your husband needs to know that you want him bad. That you got to have him. And as they say on the farm, that you can't wait to go and roll in the hay with him. That's what your husband needs to know. He needs to know that you want him bad. Amen. Hey, man, preacher, brother. 
right. Well, you know, you say, but you say, but why? Blah, 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 the ladies always, blah, 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 why do they need this? I don't understand what the big deal is. Well, you know what? I don't know what the big deal is either. But that's just the way that it is. See, I don't, but, 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 but why do you need flowers? And why do you want little notes? And why do you want me to, you know, pick up my underwear? And why do you know, why do you want what you want? I don't know, but you say you need it. And so we just do it. See, here's the problem with women. Hang on a second. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives abundantly, generously. And here we go. The typical wife doesn't understand her husband's deep need for sex any more than the typical husband doesn't understand his wife's deep need for affection. It's just the way that it is. The typical woman doesn't understand it. You know, you know what's amazing to me? And what we need to understand is, God says, it's okay. Lady, I don't know how you were raised. I don't know what went on in your household. But I want to tell you something, what God has to say about desiring your husband. He says, that's okay. He encourages it. Song of Song, Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs, the one song out of a thousand and five songs that Solomon wrote. And he said, this is my number one of my top hit parade. And listen to what his woman says to him. Now, ladies, try this later this week. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love, big guy. That's, that's the, uh, the, the New Living Version. Your love is more delightful than wine. Chapter 1, verse 2. Chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall and his banner over me is love. Strengthen me with raisins and refresh me with apples for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. And Whoa! Oh my goodness. Come on, big guy. This is good stuff. Ah! Oh! Where's my wife? Oh, she's gone. See, his banner over me is love. And what they now you remember like in the Olympics when the teams would come into the Coliseum and you'd see the sign above them, the nation that they represent, and they'd all be underneath there? Well, the same thing was true of armies in this particular culture. And what what, what she's saying is, you know what? His banner is over me. And the whole world knows that I am his and he is mine, and we belong to one another. And we represent this country right here. Our marriage, our family, our love, our relationship. And that's what his banner over me is all about. See, and and she's saying, you know what? I desire you. I want to be with you. And you know what's sad to me is there's too many Christian wives who express being offended at the fact that their husbands have a sexual need. They have like almost a puritanical prudish attitude that, you know what? There's something wrong with him. He's a pervert. That's all he thinks about. He's sick. He's demented. And then they get this attitude like, okay, if I got to meet your need, well, Lang, just go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. And they got the TV channel changer in their hand, and they're trying to watch those. Now, ladies, I want to tell you something. That doesn't make us feel desired. 
It just doesn't do it. Well, if you have to. Well, now, if he had the same attitude about, here's your flowers, if you have to have them. Oh, and a love note, love you here. You know, it's like, what is wrong with us? It's like, you know, we got this thing about, you know what? Your husband wants you to want him bad. He needs it. God wired him that way. That's just the way that it is. Now, I know some of you are thinking, but if I had a great husband, maybe I'd want him bad. But I don't have a very great husband. And I don't really want him all that bad. So guess what? I let him know it. You talk about destroying your relationship. Talk about destroying your marriage. You need to understand something. You know what? Men need to feel like they're awesome. I don't know why. That's just the way it is. That's the way we're wired. It makes us feel accepted. It makes us feel like you need us. It makes us feel like, you know, you want to be with us more than anybody else in the whole world. It makes us feel like, you know what, you're not out looking for anybody else. That, you know what, I'm everything that you need. See, when my wife makes me feel that way, let me tell you something. I don't even wonder about other women. If my wife makes me feel like, you know what, you're the most awesome guy in the world. And I can't wait to be with you. Call your husband this week at the office and tell him. I've got to have you. <laughs> hey, hey. I, it's like, hey, you know, this guy's, this guy's be like, uh, forget this daytimer. I'm, I'm going home. I don't got anything more important to do. I mean, try that. You're the greatest. Oh, my goodness. Ladies, now, I, you, if you've done that, you know what it does to your relationship. And it's pretty good, isn't it? Don't worry, she wouldn't call you anyway. (laughs) And I say that with love, my brother. Alrighty, hey, now see, that's what you risk when you open your mouth. Now see, everybody else take note. Anyway, I mean, see, that's the point. Hey, let, let me, let me, let me make this comment. Barbara Rainey writes in her book, Straight Talk to Wives, she says this. I'm realizing more and more with each year of our marriage how crucial sex is to my husband's self-image. It's not merely a means of recreation or satisfying some appetite. It builds his confidence as a man. It makes him feel accepted. Fulfilling his sexual needs and desires not only builds a wonderful intimacy between a husband and wife, but it protects him from wandering about other women. Why would he want, why would he want to wander? You are all that he needs. You're all that he wants. And without the physical affirmation of love, a man is left insecure and susceptible to another woman who may just think he is Mr. Wonderful. She goes on to say this. Think about this. To put the sexual dimensions of a man in perspective, think of his needs this way. He can send his clothes to the laundry. He can eat all of his meals out. He can find companionship with his friends, be accepted and respected at work. He can be listened to by a counselor and on all those things not go against the will of God. But if he meets his sexual needs with someone other than his wife, it is sin. Thank you. You see how important that it is? You see what a problem that it is? Because when your husband, ma'am, told you that he would be faithful to you for the rest of his life, he trusted that you... We're committed to meeting his sexual needs. 
because he knew that he could not any longer pursue that with any other woman on the face of the earth. And when you violate that, and when you manipulate him, and when you withhold from him and hold back and use sex as a weapon in your relationship, it causes alienation, it causes isolation, it causes anger, and it causes bitterness. And that's why I'm not surprised when I hear of men who go out and they look for sex with someone other than their wife. Now, I'm not excusing it. And I'm not saying that it's right because it's far from that. It's wrong before God and it's wrong in your relationship and it's, destru it's destructive. There's nothing good. But it's understandable. And it's preventable. Do you realize that? And we need to understand that as well. Number three, if you're going to be a great wife, it involves satisfaction. It involves contentment. Proverbs 5, 18 through 20. You know, it says, May your fountain be blessed and that you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? I mean, why do you have to do that? If your wife desires you and your wife is loyal to you, then you're not going to want to go anywhere else. And it's okay, ma'am, that you find satisfaction in that relationship with your husband. It's important to him that he, you are pleased by him. And that you let him know that you're pleased by him. And if you're not pleased by him, tell him what it is that you're missing so that he can meet your needs. It's sad to think that 50 years later, a guy's feeding his wife an end piece of bread thinking that's what she wanted. And that isn't what she wanted. And the same thing is true in the intimacy of a relationship. I mean, you need to communicate. You need to talk. You need to let each other know what's going on and what the frustrations are so that you can meet one another's needs. That's why you're there together. That's the purpose of it. You're to be satisfied. And if you're not, tell him. Because if he doesn't do it, then you're going to be wandering about somebody else. Get your needs met at home. And if they're not being met, let him know what's the problem and what's wrong and what he can do to rectify, correct it, or whatever he's got to do. And it also goes a lot, a lot further than just physical intimacy. It means, ma'am, you know what? You need to learn to be content. You need to learn to be content with your husband. You need to be learned to be content with the, the, not only the relationship, but with him as a provider, with him as a lover, with him as a father, with him as a husband with him as a person who is there to meet your needs. There's, there's got to be some sense of contentment. There's nothing more frustrating for a husband than to try to meet the needs of a woman who is not content with anything. I need this to be content, and you get that, and then I need this to be content, and you get that, and I need this to be... And there's always a need. There's always more that has to be done. And a guy just gets frustrated, throws up his hands, and says, I can't keep doing this. There's a contentment issue that needs to be resolved. And you need to learn to be content. Saw so a great movie yesterday. Highly recommended. Family entertainment. Three wishes. Took my kids to see it. But the one wish that this genie had for this man was he said, my wish for you that is that you can learn to be happy with what you have instead of always looking for more in life. Contentment. Learn to be content with your husband. Just as he is, in all of his weaknesses, and all of his frailties, and all of his misgivings, and all the rest of it, the fact that he's not that great a husband, but you learn to be content with just that. And you be a great wife. And everything will start falling into place. And the last thing, we'll close on this. To be a great wife also involves priorities. It means the wise woman builds her house up but her, by her own hands. But, but, but it says the wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears her house down. Proverbs 14.1. The wise woman builds it up. You build up your house. 
It's a matter of priorities. What's important to you? Number one, this is the first priority for a woman, that you respect your husband. Respect. It means reverencing him, noticing him, regarding him, honoring him, preferring him, esteeming him, building him up. Respect him and the responsibilities that he has as your husband and as a father and the accountability that he has before God. Respect him just where he's at in your relationship today. It also means, number two, that you help him. That you're a perfect helpmate suitable to him that rounds out the blind spots in his life. I like the story, and it's been told several different ways, but when I was living in Pittsburgh, um, there, there was a, a county commissioner. His name was Pete Flaherty. He also was mayor of Pittsburgh. But make a long story short, he was a county commissioner. He and his wife went to a groundbreaking ceremony for a building project that was going on. And his wife's name was Nancy, and they were at the groundbreaking ceremony. And a, and a construction worker who was a laborer yelled to Pete's wife, Nancy, and said, Hey, Nancy, remember me? We used to date in high school. And she went over and talked to him, exchanged some pleasantries, and then they went back to what they were doing. And later that night, County Commissioner Flaherty said, Gee, you know what, Nancy, isn't that funny? Isn't it ironic how life works out? And his wife's thinking, well, what do you mean? Well, that guy that you met today out on the job site, remember him? She said, oh, yeah, we used to date in high school. He said, can you imagine? If you would have ended up marrying him, you'd have been the wife of a laborer. And she smiled and looked at him and said, oh, no, no, you don't understand. If I would have married him, he'd be the county commissioner. You got to help him. You got to help him be everything that God intended for him to be. And the last thing is to be a homemaker, to be busy at home, to be content with being at home. You know what the saddest lie in our culture is today, ladies? That you're being taught and you're being told that, you know what, there's no honor in being a great wife. There's no honor in being a great mother. There's no honor in being a homemaker that you need to go and get an education, that you need to go and have a career, that you need to go and do something beyond just being a great wife and being a great mother. And that's the biggest lie that there is. Because you know what? I really believe this to be true. If you are married, the only fulfillment that you'll truly find is, is in your role as a wife and in your role as a mother. And everything else is going to pale in comparison. We need to recognize that. We need to understand it. If you're going to be a great wife, you need to begin to do these things in your life. Now, here's the problem. Here's the way I see it. The last two weeks, here's what I see. You got a guy who's not a great husband. So you got a wife who sees that. And neither of you want to go first. It's a little game, man. It's a little power play. And let me just do this. If you are a husband, I'm going to challenge you regardless of what your wife does, then you do all the things that you're supposed to do to be a great husband. And if you are a wife, regardless of whether he's not so great, you do all the things that you're supposed to do to be a great wife. Seeing if both of you will commit today to just begin to do what you're supposed to do, you're going to have a great marriage. Because God is going to miraculously bring the two of you together like you could never have believed it was possible. If you're not keeping score and you're not keeping track of who's making the first move or who's waiting whom out, you just do. Sir, you do what's right before God. Ma'am, you do what's right before God. And as God brings you together, I'll tell you what, you know what's going to happen? Your marriage is going to mirror God's image. And he and you will begin to enjoy the relationship that he has brought you together to enjoy. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity.
to uh, take a look at what it means to be a great wife. God, as a husband, I just pray that, <clears throat> that each husband here would recognize our responsibility to continue to love our wives in a way that uh, they need to be loved. And God, I just pray for every one of the women that are here, that they would recognize as a wife that their responsibility is to love their husband as they need to be loved, and to do so in a way that's pleasing to God, to be loyal, to desire him, and make him feel wanted, to be satisfied with him, and, and to be satisfied with being his wife, with being a mother, with uh, their relationship together. To have our priorities straight as far as respecting his position as leader of their home. To uh, be a helpmate in every area of their relationship. To be a homemaker who is busy at home and just finding peace and contentment in the role that, God, you say that they have. And God, we just thank you as husbands and wives as we begin to do what's right before you, how you almost miraculously, no, make that miraculously bring us together to enjoy the relationship as only you had it designed from the beginning. And we just thank you that our purpose will be fulfilled, and that is to be husbands and wives and marriages and families that reflect the glory of God. And as we're asked, may we answer that you are the reason that we're together. You are the reason for the love in our relationship, and that, God, with you, nothing is impossible. And we just praise you in Christ's name. Amen. An application I try to apply because I, I have a tendency to have a sharp tongue and, and um, I can engage my mouth before I should, is to try and stop and ask, is it, is it right according to the Word of God? Is, is it proper and appropriate? And, and also, um, if, if I'm talking about somebody else, would I say it to their face? Would it be something that I would sit down and say to them face to face? And if it's not, uh, maybe I shouldn't be saying it. Or maybe I should phrase it in a different way so that if it was something to say to them, uh, it would be understood and it would be beneficial. So that's that. Um, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are a God of wisdom. We thank you that you give us so much instruction in your word how to live our everyday lives, Lord. We thank you for your grace that it is sufficient we thank you, Lord, that you equip us with all things that you want us to have. And in our role as, as being your children here on earth, Lord, to live a life that's pleasing to you in our families, uh, raising our children, Lord, with our spouses, in our work, in what you've called us to be out in the world doing every day, and within the body of believers, Lord. I pray that you would make us more sensitive to the things of our speech, that they would not be evil, that they would not be hurtful, uh, that they wouldn't cause any damage, Lord, but they would only uplift and exhort, Lord, and, and uh, that they would correct when needed in, in the right way. We thank you that you provide us with these things. I, I just pray for each and every one of us, Lord, that we would seek your wisdom and your counsel in how to live a life that's pleasing to you. In your name we pray. Amen.